I don't think it's a good idea to come in and say, by the way, I've seen everything that you're doing and it's terrible and we're going to change it all. I would occasionally get clients that would ask me to do that. And I would have to chuckle inside, not in front of them, because if they were really asking for that, they've got more serious problems than a productivity consultant can solve. The pursuit of, of excellence is something we're all striving towards. I want you to focus on what you do best. You need to have an approval. How many approvals? What are the steps? It's really about listening. If it's not documented, it's, it's not done. Thanks for tuning into In Systems We Trust, the show where we dive into all things systems and processes and hear from the professionals that are using them to change the landscape of their organizations every day. Today, we are talking with Joshua Zirkel. Joshua is the head of global engagement marketing at Asana, where he's responsible for growing and engaging the Asana community around the world, both online and offline. He's a certified professional organizer and has spent over 15 years helping people and businesses get more organized and increase their productivity. Before joining Asana, Joshua was director of global customer education and community at Evernote, and I want to officially welcome you to the show, Joshua. Thanks so much. I'm really excited to be here. I love talking about this stuff, so this is a pleasure for me. Likewise, likewise. So yeah, let's jump right in. I know our people are here to hear about all things Asana and systems, so let's get right into it. And like, um, my first question is, I, I was recently watching Get Organized on, on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, but you know, I, I I really couldn't look away, you know. And I I understand that you have a history here, you know, um, because your LinkedIn profile says that you're you know one of the world's first certified professional organizers. So can you just elaborate on that and w what that really means? Yeah. So in the world of organizing, there's a variety of different types of specializations and and ways that people can get into the industry. I approached organizing, which I did for I don't know close to a decade before I went back into the world of tech. I kind of was in tech and then I went out of tech and then back into it. I I really loved helping people think of systems and processes, which I'm sure is very near and dear to your heart and that of your listeners. And I, I really wanted to help people professionally get things under control. And so as part of that desire, I started reading up and studying because I didn't want to just go out there and do it. I wanted to really make sure I, I had my own methodologies and systems and processes that I could bring to the table to add value. And as part of that work, I became a certified professional organizer, actually one of the first in the world, the inaugural class. And essentially that means that you sit for a very comprehensive exam about the gamut of things related to organizing, everything from residential to professional to work styles, how people think and different processes for helping people. And you have to have completed 1,500 paid hours of client work before you're even eligible to take the exam. So it's pretty rigorous. And when I see uh, people get organized on TV, like on the show you mentioned, or like other popular organizing shows, it just it's really great for me to see that because it means that people are really trying to make these positive changes in their work and in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like th that show is really one example, um, but there seems to be this this movement, you know, um, around organizations getting organized, getting more streamlined, and obviously it all comes down, you know, to the bottom line at the end of the day, and just just streamlining both our lives and our businesses. Um, I I'm curious though, for you, like, how did all that 
come to be? Like, when did you realize that you were really passionate about systems, passionate about organization? Like, were you the kid that was playing with, with Legos and everything had to be just so, you know, where did you really start to realize that that's the path that you're going to take in life? Yeah, I, I was that kid. Uh, I was the kid that always had all of, I had a lot of action figures and all of them, when I would store them, would be in their proper groupings. Like, I was really into G.I. Joe, and those were always together. The Star Wars toys were always in their own separate spot. Like, everything was very well organized, and all my comic books were always alphabetized. And that was just kind of a knack that I had. I think people are born with various skills. Others get developed. This is just the one that I happen to have. And it never occurred to me to use it professionally. It was just kind of the way that I was until I started working in design. And my first career was as a designer. And a fairly common notion when it comes to the world of creatives is that they can be really great at the creative part, but maybe not as great at the back-end processes. And so I ended up finding a lot of my colleagues in need of help to sort through the day-to-day -day work and just manage their processes themselves. And so I would show them my techniques for doing so. And eventually I thought maybe I should get paid for doing this. And that's when I started really thinking about how can I spin this off into a consulting business? And I started doing professional consulting in the early 2000s. So it's been quite some time that I've been doing that work. Okay. Yeah, like what you said there about creatives, it, it's so true. And at Ditto, like we work primarily with creative agencies. And so we found that, you know, they're, they're so good at what they do. They're so in, in touch with, you know, that creative side. But when it comes to their back end, like there's no order. It's all, it's all a mess, right? And they typically need those systems or that work management tool or that person on their team to kind of bring them bring them back. So um, I, I want to hear more about your, your, your consulting. So like, what does that look like? What um, types of people were you working with at the time? And what did a typical in engagement look like for you? Are you able to elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah. So I was typically brought in by small to medium businesses, anywhere from the one person independent consultant like myself at the time to um, smaller teams within much bigger organizations and everything in between. Usually I was brought in because there was a problem. People don't typically hire consultants just for the sake of doing so. Usually something was fundamentally broken. Like they couldn't figure out how to manage their communication or their tech stack to work together better. Um, I'd often get people who contact me because they just weren't even sure where to begin and they felt overwhelmed by the processes of just managing their day-to-day -day work and didn't have a good way to streamline how they were managing their time. Things were often disconnected. Like they had many tools and systems, but people weren't really sure which tool was for what purpose and how to string them together in a way that felt purposeful. And so I would spend a typical engagement doing a needs assessment where I would learn everything there was to know about the business, its processes, its goals, the personnel, the tools, and help them develop a plan for moving forward. And then I would help them implement the plan. I often found people often had ideas for what they needed to do. They had a good sense of like, okay, I generally know what the problem is and I have a, a notion of how to fix it, but that would usually be the end of their process they wouldn't take the next step and actually implement. And usually I found for most people, just having someone there who was supportive and could guide them on the implementation really got them over the hump towards better productivity. So that was a typical engagement for me is it really helped them understand the crux of the problem, guide them on solutions, and then help them on the path towards implementation. And, and, and were a lot of these businesses, you know, open to that change? Were, were, were they resistant? Were they hesitant? Was it, was it a lot of hand-holding? 
It was all of the above. So <laughs> typically in a given team, there are a few people who are like, we've got a serious problem. We need to fix it. Then there are people who are like, I'm really happy with how things are going. And I frankly don't know why you've been brought in because I've got my stuff under control. And then there's the gamut of people in between. Right. Usually the people are in between. If you help them understand that what they're doing is probably okay, but it can be better, they'll get on board. The people who are really okay with how they're doing, usually in my experience, at least, it's harder to sell them on making a change if they're happy with how things are going. But what I found was worthwhile was helping them understand the team's success, not just their own, and the team's flow and how it could be better and how we might even be able to leverage the positive ways that they're working already, not asking them to upend their apple cart. And so really understanding the team dynamic, understanding that people get to have their own perspectives. And my job as a consultant is to figure out how to weave those threads together into something new and hopefully better. Mm. So, so you're not typically coming in there and, you know, bulldozing all their systems. You're working with them to adapt and, you know, expand on what they have. And you're, you're kind of meeting them where, where they're at from, from the sounds of it. Is that right? Yeah. I, I don't think it's a good idea to come in and say, by the way, I've seen everything that you're doing and it's terrible and we're going to change it all. I would occasionally get clients that would ask me to do that. And I would have to chuckle inside, not in front of them, because if they were really asking for that, they've got more serious problems than a productivity consultant can solve. And yeah. so I, I typically wouldn't want to change everything. It's very rare that I've gone into any business where literally everything is broken and needs to be changed. That There's usually something that's working. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in a successful enough point to be able to hire somebody. So some things are working, they may look like they're out of control, but usually there's some underlying systems there, even if they haven't been named, that are working just fine. And those are usually my anchor for building on top of. Okay. Okay. So, so, so let's fast forward here. You know, you, you've been at Asana for, I believe, two years now. Um, how did you really get connected there? Were you an outside consultant that they brought in? Um, you know, what was their previous relationship there through some of your consulting that you were doing? What did that look like? And, you know, how did you get to today? Yeah, so this is a Silicon Valley is a small world story. Okay. So prior to being at Asana, I was at Evernote for quite a number of years, leading their own systems and, and teams around um, community and customer education and helping build that through training and helping people understand how to use a tool like Evernote to be more productive. So it was very near and dear to the way that I think and work. And I, at the time, was leading our customer success organization as well. I attended a conference where I met someone who worked at Asana. And he and I just became friends. And this was maybe four or five years ago. And he had mentioned along the way that Asana was thinking of creating a community program and they weren't really certain how to do it. And so I would just give them advice, basically. And when they hired a new CMO, maybe two-ish years ago, almost three years ago, um, he brought me in and we talked more about building community and, and building a community specifically around how tools can help people be more successful and productive. And through talking about it with him and thinking through some ideas, it just seemed like this is a really good opportunity to, to bring people together who are already really passionate about this tool called Asana. And that led me to, to come full time. So it was a very nice serendipitous path towards something that I actually really love and, and use myself. It sounds that way. Yeah. So 
Let's talk more about your your role as the head of global community at Asana. You know, what does that entail and what does a typical week, you know, usually look like for you? Yeah, so I lead our community program, which is called Asana Together. And basically we are responsible for helping bring Asana closer to our customers and our customers closer to each other to help them be better at what they do, whatever that might be, give them tools and resources to be successful and help spread the love about this thing we all care about called Asana. And so the team that I have is responsible for various aspects of doing that, whether it's bringing new people into our official ambassador or certified pros program, or meeting people and connecting with them on the forum, leading events, and all of the things in between. And so a typical work week for me is pretty varied, which I enjoy. It involves me helping lead each of those sub functions towards their own goals within our broader program. I also spend quite a bit of time connecting directly with community members. Usually, well, right now everything is online, nothing is in person, but in the typical pre-COVID world, I spend a lot of time on the road at events, meeting customers, talking with community members, talking about teamwork and productivity. And a, another big part of my time is advocating for community outside of Asana. So talking with other community professionals about strategies for community building, introducing them to what we're doing at Asana, connecting communities together. So my weeks are pretty full, uh, but I, I really love this work and I, I love that I get to work and meet with customers, people who are using this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so with the Asana Together program, you know, what has the, I, I guess, the evolution of the program, you know, been over the past two or three years that you've been there, um, you know, and why is Asana, you know, chosen, um, I guess, these channels to build community around? Like, wh why is that so important? Good question. I mean, the truth is not every company, especially a SaaS tool like Asana has a community program. So it's fairly unusual. So I can talk a little bit about that. When I started at Asana almost three years ago in January, there was no community program. We had a community forum, which for many companies, that's where their community program starts and ends. To me, a community forum is a very important leg of a community program, but not the only one. And so my my process was to really listen to existing customers who were excited about Asana, ask them what they wanted, what they were looking for, what, what could a community program bring to them? And we crafted the Asana Together program based on what they told us. There were people who were at companies that use Asana that wanted more tools to advocate for it internally to their existing teams. We created an ambassador program for those folks. Then there were people who said, I actually don't work at a company that uses Asana. I'm an independent consultant, but I wanna be able to tell my own clients about Asana. I wanna be educated on it so that I can go and offer this to them as one of my services. And so for those people, we created the Certified Pros program. So it's really about crafting a program that meets customers where they are so that we're giving them the tools and resources to help them feel successful and help them advocate on our behalf. And that's really at the end of the day what the business goal for the community program is it's we know and i'm a firm believer that word of mouth is a very powerful form of marketing it's really authentic you're hearing people's real voices and their experiences part of our job is making a great product that people really love and use and then the other part is just making sure that the people who love it and use it have the right tools to talk about it and so that's that's really the the business driver of having a, a really broad-based community program like this is 
how can we energize people on the ground to advocate within their own networks, which might be within their own company or beyond. Okay. Um, just kind of came to my head, but um, I, I was on a call yesterday. We were talking about, you know, agencies partnering with, you know, tech partners and, and things like that. What would you consider the Asana Together program to be a, a, a partnership relationship between the ambassadors or the certified pros? And, um, you know, are you, are, you pro are you providing resources for those individuals or those companies as well that decide to join the community? Yeah, so it, any relationship between two entities, whether it's a company like Asana and an individual who works at another company that uses it, or between Asana and a consultant or an agency, it's a form of partnership. We're, we're both agreeing to something and we're, we have a handshake agreement that I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna create these things and you're gonna do this other thing. There are many levels to what a partnership can look like, many levels of stringency around like what is going to happen. I would say the Asana Together community program is more lightweight in that we create an array of ways for people to in, get connected and interact with us. They get to choose. Uh, a true partnership program where like we have stipulations on what each of us are going to do isn't exactly what this is, but it's not not that either. It's I think for people who are motivated and want more from just using the tool, they want some connection and relationship. So it's a type of partnership, but it's not the only type. Right. Yeah. Um, Asana, for the most part, you know, uh, as you and I know, fixes the problem, right? And and it may not be as well known to others, but there's this this issue around um, organizations doing work about work, air quotes, you know. Um, interested to hear what that really means to you and you know how do you eliminate that you know with within your team yeah so the work about work thing is really funny i'll just define it because that's i think helpful context so yeah please. to me work about work is really all the things that surround your core work your core work for me my for me it's building community but the work around it is meetings sending messages coordinating projects making sure I know where all of the work is, like the work product. All of that time, knowledge workers spend a lot of their focus and energy on. And the ironic thing is it's usually the bulk of people's time, but it's not what they're in their seat to do. Right. They're usually there to drive some initiative, not to spend time in meetings or communicate via email or search for lost documents. So our goal at Asana is to reduce or hopefully someday eliminate work about work. And on my team and in my own work, we really, really strive for this. And I think the there's a few ways we get there. We're not 100% there, but we're, we're all working towards it every day. One is making it really clear who is doing what and by when and what the purpose of our work is. When I think back to the days in my life when I worked on teams and I didn't have a work management tool like Asana, I honestly sometimes don't know how I got things done because like, I'm a super organized guy. And I always had like all the checklists and I knew what I was doing and I was hyper-scheduled and very clear on what I needed to do. But that's kind of where it started and where it ended because as soon as it was the next person that I needed to connect with, it was really up to them how they managed their work and their time. There was no connection between my system of record and theirs. And because of that work often fell through the cracks, things were harder to get done on time, things got lost or forgotten. and now they just really don't. We may choose to not do something, but there's a record there that we thought about it. There's a record there that it was a task and we can refer back to it. When I work with a team and I have a team of 
10 people all around the world, managing work between such a disparate array of time zones and locations and people and demeanors, having a system that we all agree on that this is the place where work lives, where we keep the body of our projects and where we can talk about what we're doing has been really invaluable to eliminating that needless overhead of, oh my God, did I forget to tell so-and-so about this project? Or did that thing actually get done? There's so many things, I can't remember them all. And for me, as someone who really values productivity, it's really been, I mean, a game changer is like an overused term, but it, it really has made my life as a, a leader of a broad team a lot easier and let us get a lot more done than I ever have at other jobs before. I mean, honestly, it's been great. What would you say are some of your best practices for keeping up with that remote team? Because I know for any of the listeners, like that is a problem that we all deal with. And, you know, at the time of this recording, we're still, you know, living through the early stages or uh, of COVID-19, right? And so a lot of companies, they are displaced for the first time. They're trying to return back to work. They're trying to stay connected with their teams. They're trying to keep up culture. They're trying to make sure that they're respecting you know, what work-life balance there there is that's left. So curious to know, you know, how you, how you manage that, how you keep up with your people, um, keep connected across the different time zones and how you make sure that that work is getting done and that this work about work doesn't become the focus. That's a really good question. For me and for my team, we try really hard to address that by having a balance of asynchronous work that we can do on our own without having meetings and synchronous purposeful meeting time. So in practice, what this looks like is each of us manages our own subdomain within the world of community. We, we know generally what we need to do, but there's a lot of crossover and linking between each person on the team and our work so that we can get more out of it, make one plus one equal three a lot of the time. And so what we do is we document all of the things that we are doing, all of that lives in Asana, of course, but each week we have a meeting that kicks off the week where we talk about each person's priorities for the week and what they're doing. And this is a live meeting where wherever a person is in the world, we connect live, we see each other's faces, we talk about the weekend, we still have that feeling of being together even though we physically can't be. And we list, okay, here are the five things I'm working on this week. Hey, are you working on this? Because maybe we can meet and talk about this connection between the two projects offline. Or, oh, I didn't know you were working on that. Can you tell me more? That sounds really interesting. It's those sorts of connections that you can only make when something happens live that we we still try to get via that weekly meeting. So that really helps us kick off the week. We all start on the same page of knowing what we're all working on, you know, who's responsible for which body of work. And then as the week goes on, we have more check-ins, usually via Slack, although we have optional live check-ins that people can attend also. My goal as a leader is to right-size the amount of communications and right-size the medium. So some people are really happy doing things asynchronously once we have that kickoff in the beginning of the week. Others really want that face-to-face -face time and I wanna have it all available to people. And so for the people that having another live meeting feels like overhead that they don't want, like work about work, they can opt out. And for the people who find it valuable, they can show up. And so it's it's been a very interesting process helping my team through this when all of us are new to this world as well. We have a tool that helps us, but it's the framework and the thought and the methodology behind how we use the tool that I think is making it work for us. Okay. Just to kind of close out this thought on, you know, the work about work, um, 
there was a, a white paper that was put out last year and it's referenced a, I believe, 2017 study where it documented that across, you know, North America, there's, there's something like 60% of people within organizations are, you know, spending their time on this work about work. So I, I, I guess my, I guess my question is how concerned are we by this and do we, has that number gone down? In, in the recent years, right, as people adopt more work management tools, or is it just another problem that they need to solve? It, it, has it moved to something else now? And now we have to deal with how to connect remotely. Just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, we haven't uh, released the follow-up numbers yet on the changes from the initial study. But what I can say is when I saw that number of 60% of people's knowledge workers' time is spent on work about work, it was both distressing, but also not entirely surprising because like I've worked in offices, I, I know how people spend their time. And I, I've been in those meetings where I'm like, do I even need to be here? Or I've been on those long email chains where like, has this decision been made here? Like just like this sort of generalized office work overwhelm and overhead that doesn't seem to move us anywhere. So I, I think 60% is a, a fairly accurate assessment of where we've been. Where we are now, I can't exactly say, but what I can say is that the world of work has changed dramatically this year and yeah. i think most of us are still trying to figure out how to do it let alone be productive in the midst of it and so what i tell people now is this year is really tough and the systems that you had before probably won't work right now you need to think of new systems and let's be realistic you're probably not going to be as productive as you were when you had all your systems and tools in place your team was all around you in one spot so mm -hmm. give yourself give your team a break and recognize that the KPIs that you had before might need to be changed, your goals might need to be altered, just to deal with the, the reality of what's going on in the world. A mistake I think people have made is, well, world be damned, I'm going to do what I need to do, and it's going to be the same as it was before. Good luck with that. I, I don't know how successful that can be without acknowledging that there's significant workflow, emotional and psychological changes that all of us are going through. And, and we as leaders need to understand that, empathize with it, and help our teams through it. And sometimes that means adopting new systems, processes, and strategies. Right. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that. There's definitely this, this shift that I feel is happening and that business owners and members of leadership need to, you know, um, be open to, you know, changing in their organizations when it comes to people, how they manage the work, how they're managing their time, what they can really expect of them as well. Because like I said earlier with that whole, you know, work-life balance, um, there was a, I'm going to butcher it now, but there's, it's no longer working, working from home. It's, it's living, living at work. Living at work, yeah, something like that. I probably butchered it, but yeah, it, it's totally that. We're just there are the lines are blurred. You know, there's no you know defined cutoff time at the end of the day, right? And so um, systems are more important than ever. Um, and so like I I I know for your team, you know your your schedule is very busy. You're managing you know virtual events, you know happening across the globe. And so when it comes to your systems or any SOPs that you that you create. Who would you say is responsible for creating those SOPs for your team? Is it you that is, you know, passing them down? Is it a, is it a collaboration or are they constantly evolving? And like, who, who really champions um, those things to make sure that you're aligned and all moving in the right direction? That's a really good question. I, on my team, try to encourage whoever the project owner is 
is the person who's responsible for documenting their work and making sure that the processes make sense. I could do it, but it seems silly for me to do it when the person who's closer to the work knows the work more intimately than me could probably do a much better job of it than I could. And so my job sometimes is to help guide them in how to do it. Like, here's how you write a set of documentation for your work. Here's where you want to in insert screenshots to illustrate this point and why you'd want to do that. Here's how you explain it to someone that might not be familiar with this area of work at all. And so I, I, I feel like I've done a pretty good job training my team on how to do that because I used to do this all the time for my clients when I was doing consulting work. And so I kind of use that consultative mindset on my own team when it comes to creating systems, processes, and documentation. I think the systems and the processes, people understand a little bit more readily on why it's important. But if someone's never created a process documentation project, that's like, why would I do that? I'm the one doing this work. I know how to do it. But as soon as I explain to them, like, what if you're not here one day? We need to get something done. Or... As soon as we add another team member that's going to be doing similar work to you, do you really want to spend all your time explaining it to them over and over? Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe not. And so it's just explaining to them the value of documentation and then giving them a framework or a template or guiding them through how to custom create something. Almost all of our repeated, repeatable, ongoing processes have been documented at this point, which has become very useful as our team has grown internationally because as we're not always awake at the same time around the world, it's useful where someone, like I have a team member that we just brought on in Japan, she can refer back to, here's how you create an event in our event management tool, or here's how you onboard a new member into Asana together. Those things are documented and that just makes that process so much easier. It also creates a shared language for all of us. Like, oh, here's how we do our work. Yeah, here, here's how things are done around here. Um, just quickly, I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have a larger SOP index? Would you say that it is searchable or are you, you know, um, embedding the SOP specific to that task or that project, that event type into the project template? Can you speak to like what it actually looks like within, within your organization? Yeah, good question. I hadn't really considered this, but we, we made a decision somewhere along the way to have the documentation live within the project. Part of it is because the, the way that my team is structured, it's very, very rare that someone who works on events would also work on member management. So having a shared body of, of documentation, while I see the, the utility of it now, um, okay. we, we thus far have kept things pretty siloed in, in the sense of like people's roles are pretty siloed. And so we keep all the documentation related to that body of work in one spot within each project. So it's easier for that person that works on that thing to find that documentation rather than for, oh, like I don't work on that, but I'm curious, I could go find it if I wanted to, that we haven't optimized for that. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, tell, tell us more about the, the future of Asana. I know there's not a ton that you can reveal, you know, um, you know but where generally is Asana going? What does the vision look like for the next, the next 10 years even? Yeah, I, I think we at Asana are trying to think really broadly about how teams work and how they can be more successful. One of the things that we've really been focused on lately, and I think you'll see more of a focus on in the future is just alignment. At Asana, we have this concept called pyramid of clarity, which is when you have clear alignment from the very top of the pyramid, which is like a company's mission and vision down to goals, down to projects and initiatives and down to individual tasks, 
it makes everyone who's working there's lives a lot easier because you know what you're working on and you know how it ladders up to what your company is trying to achieve. And so we recently released a feature called Goals, which is a step in this direction, which is alignment of work across the entirety of, of a company. And I think you'll see a lot more of that from us in, in the years, weeks, months to come, um, because in my experience, there's nothing more important than people understanding why they're there. Why am I working on this thing and how or why does it matter? And having that alignment really makes people feel like their work is purposeful. So I think you'll see more of that on the company all the way down to the individual level. And then we also know that at the individual level, people frankly need help getting their work done. They need help understanding what to prioritize and how to stay focused. And so you'll likely see some efforts in that direction as well of just helping people be smarter about what they're working on and managing the work that they, they're doing in the way that best makes sense for them. Okay. And, and what's one thing that you, that you would want to say to organizations, you know, when it comes to their systems and processes, what do you think they're, they're not considering right now? I, in my experience, when I've worked with companies on this before, they often understand systems and processes as some utility that happens somewhere out there, but not for us because we're too busy doing the day-to-day -day work. And what I would say to them is it's an investment in scale. It's an investment in your people so they can feel more successful. And frankly, it's an investment in sanity. Usually things feel out of control at work, even on the best of days. And this is one of the things that you can actually get under control. You can name how you do your work. You can document how it gets done. And you can make it easier for people to understand what to do because they can just refer back to documentation and methodologies and tools like Asana that can help streamline who's doing what and by when. And so I would say to them, work doesn't have to be so hard. Use that energy instead on thinking through the bigger problems, not the how do we get the work done, but what do we do? What's the strategy? What do we want to work on? What are the projects? And then when you get down to the nitty gritty level of the day-to-day -day work and, and the back end, let systems, tools, and processes manage that for you so your team can, team's time can be better spent on the work that's the highest and best use of their time. I love that. Thank you. Um, and just as we kind of wrap up here, what does your tech stack look like? Obviously, Asana is your core, is your hub, but is there anything else that you integrate, you know, um, on the back end to really get through your day or, or any given week? Yeah, so I have a pretty lean tech stack myself. My team, because we each do disparate types of work, has their own, like for instance, on the event side, we have an event management platform and so on. But the, the core of our team's work one, we use Asana to manage all of our projects and tasks, our goals. The body of our work lives there. We use Slack for in the moment communications, like, hey, wanna like grab a virtual lunch, like that sort of type of communication. We use uh, the Google Suite pretty extensively for docs, sheets, slides. Even though work lives in Asana, sometimes you still need to create pieces of work that are more than just what you put in a task. And so we link all of those directly into Asana from Google. And then I use a tool called Noisly, which helps me focus by creating white noise for when I need to think and not be distracted with music. I, I love music, but it can often be very distracting for me when I'm trying to just focus on writing something. I, I have a strategic role. And so that means I'm often writing out plans, et cetera. And I need to focus when I'm doing that. And Noisly helps me do that. 
I've, I've heard of stuff like that where instead of like maybe white noise, it's a, a busy coffee shop or like an office environment for people that are at home and are missing, you know, the the people around them, the noise, the the busy, the the rush, right? So yeah, so Noisly offers like these different zones or scenes. Like one is a coffee shop, one is an office. I oddly have lately been listening to the sound of a train going over the tracks. It's just like this repetitive noise. So it's things like this that are like, okay, I have something happening in my ear, but I'm able to focus on what I need to work on. Awesome. Well, where can people connect with you, Joshua? Where, where are you spending your time these days? Where, where can they, where are you hanging out? Where can they uh, see what you're up to? Yeah, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm at Joshua Zirkle on Twitter and I share lots of productivity and work from home, especially now related tips and articles that I find there. I'm also on LinkedIn. I welcome people to connect with me there. I'm just Joshua Zirkle, pretty easy to find. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe and follow on your preferred channel. If you know of a friend or colleague that would benefit from hearing this conversation, please share it with them so that we can reach more listeners just like you. As always, all the links from today's talk will be in the show notes. And remember, if it isn't documented, it didn't happen. We'll see you next time.